from the New Testament, a letter from Paul's letter, a reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, through the praise of his gracious, glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained as an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him, who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Good morning. I'm excited today. You know how you have some good days and bad days, and my Sundays always have to be good days. You know, I can't just say, you know, I'm having a bad day, I'll just stay at home. But today's an actual good day for me. I don't know if it's my attitude. I don't know if the Holy Spirit, I have no idea, but I'm going to just enjoy this day. And so let's open up in prayer, and uh, we're going into a message that I, uh, I had the privilege of doing last night, and I did not understand the impact of it when it comes to me, and I just want to pray that the same impact happens to you guys as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to get in your word. We thank you so much for your grace. And we just pray, Lord, that you will give us the ability to filter out the anger, the hatred that, that we see in the world, that we can live as you called us to live. And we pray, Lord, that nobody, nobody will take the right away of our joy. And we thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Now, next week, uh, uh, my wife is coming home on Thursday. <laughs> hey, you want to come over to see my house? It's a disaster. <laughs> okay. Obviously, I don't do well being alone. So, so, so next week, um, I'm going to be on vacation with my wife. We're going on a little road trip together, and Pastor Al Johnson will be giving the sermon. Where are you, Al? There you are. And... Uh, so I'm happy. Al and I have been friends for 22 years, and we have a unique friendship. And back in January, uh, Lillian and Jennifer and both of us went to a car show. And uh, Lillian's hardcore into uh, Cadillacs. I'm hardcore into little electric cars. Al Johnson's just hardcore, period. 
And I, I saw this Volks, I, I saw this minivan that, um, that was a Honda minivan that was dressed up like Minnie Mouse. So I was thinking in my head, I'm going to post something stupid. And I'm going to post, hey, Al Johnson and I, we're buying a new electric car, and we're doing another road trip, and hashtag road trip and something like that, and it would be funny. So I go, Al, will you take a picture with me? He goes, sure. And so he took this picture here, and I didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> I go, Al, you're killing me. And I go, Lillian, send that. He goes, don't send it to him. I go, I'm going to use it as a sermon illustration somehow, sometime. I don't know when it would fit. But today, where did he go? He disappeared. <laughs> so here's the thing about this. I love the picture. It's our friendship. It's the thing that we goof around in and play around. Because both of us are ordained elders of this denomination. But yet I won't post it because I don't want to be shamed. I don't want people to say, how could you as an ordained elder be doing this or goofing off and all this stuff. And so I didn't post it. I like the picture. It's, all, it's on my phone. It's not my background on my phone, but it's on my phone. <laughs> I'm a member. I subscribe to 24 channels on YouTube. Most of them are about Teslas. But it's fascinating. <laughs> you guys laugh at anything. That, that wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> but what happens is, is that the subscriptions, is, it's enormous. You can be famous just to be famous. I go on YouTube and I find 1 million subscribers, 14 million subscribers, 21 million subscribers. And I watch their videos and they're just moronic. They're doing dumb things that just get attention, and they're multimillionaires because of it. And it's fascinating to me that social media has allowed us to become famous just to be famous. You don't need to be talented. You don't need character traits. You don't need to be this awesome actor. But all you need to do is get attention. See, if you look on the screen, social media has made it possible for people to become famous simply by getting attention. You can now be famous for being famous. The ability to grab attention often by saying and doing the most outrageous things online is now often seen as a prized ability. Now, it's interesting, in order to get likes or something to go viral, there's always some people encouraging and saying, yes, they like it. They're awesome, thumbs up. But to any type of attention or social media attention, there's two types of attention that you get. You get a positive and you get a negative. And so, therefore, it's interesting, my wife, when she posts, she posts, Stuff. If you want to know anything about personal lives, go on my wife's webpage. You can tell you right now, she's all over Pennsylvania spending a lot of money that we don't have. <laughs> True story. Her credit card by Chase was shut down because of excessive use. Yes. 
That saves us a lot of money right there. It's happened twice in 10 years. You know, you just go, come on, girl. <laughs> and so you go, so when she posts stuff, I go, do you have any likes? She goes, no, not yet. It's only two minutes. I go, I would pull it off because no one likes it, you know, <laughs> because you want to be liked, but you're afraid that I had 300 friends and I got two likes after 12 hours. <laughs> Something's wrong here. And so because of this, what's going on is I've noticed in our society, we have turned into a guilt-based, from a guilt-based society to a shame society. And let me show you the difference, and I'll put it on the screen. Guilt-based is my conscience tells me that I did something bad. That's the pure definition of guilt. But shame-based is my community tells me that I am bad and I need to be excluded. So the new kind of shame versus our popular culture, that therefore we get very anxious on what we post or what we do or what we say. We're very careful because all of us literally want to be liked. And so we're very cognizant on how we do it because how we're liked is connected to our self-worth. And so social media becomes our self-worth sometimes. And God forbid that you post something and someone criticizes you on your own page. Therefore, it's almost a public way of shaming in your own group. See, if you look on the screen, in our shame popularity culture, morality, um, morality is no longer about right or wrong. It's about inclusion and, or exclusion. Am I part of the group? Or am I excluded from the group? I think this atmosphere of shame in our society gives us this incredible opportunity for the church. Because as we're on this uh, restored, in order to restore, our, as we're on this recalibration, this is a fantastic opportunity for us not to exclude. And so, but here's the thing is, my shame that I live with, my shame that I'm learning to release, has all been given to me by the church. See, we live in a shame-based culture in the church as well. We sometimes this pulpit can be used for public shaming. And so what I've learned in this is that the American church often equates victory, success, happiness with spiritual maturity. It rewards those who project these qualities and tends to shun those who don't. Those who don't project victory over sin, who struggle with doubt or depression, tend to be pushed aside because they don't portray the image the church wants to portray. This forces people to choose between being fake in the church or leaving together. Do you see where we're going here? So here it is. This is what really hit me hard. It was a, a statement that was by Warren Brugman said this, it's on the screen. Churches should be the most honest place in town, not the happiest place in town. Isn't that crazy? Because I grew up in the church. We better be happy. Put that smile on right now. And don't embarrass me, you know, <laughs> and portray that you know, I'm the perfect parent because I'm going to beat you when you get home. <laughs> You know how many times, and this is manipulation at its best, my dad didn't know to call, true story. I'm sorry, I'm going to go along. True story. I'm going to throw all my trash out today. 
when my, my dad goes, you're going to get a whooping. Now, when, when my dad gives me a whooping, it's, it, he stops when he's tired. That's, <laughs> oh, I'm tired. Go ahead. You. So what I did, I went to the altar and accept Jesus. <laughs> How is he going to whoop me when I just received Christ in my life? And it worked. I've accepted Jesus 5,000 times when I was young. Don't whip me. Don't whip me. Sorry. And so this is where, where, where uh, when last week we talked about the Apostle Paul. And I love this because I can connect with Paul because there's areas in my life that I've prayed for him, God to remove it, and he hasn't. And Paul tells about being removed, about these sore spots, or he uses the analogy, the thorn in my flesh. And he said, look, I want to be free from this. I want this to get out of my life. And he prayed not once, not twice, but three times. And God says, my grace is enough, uh, enough. And I'm going to be strong through this weakness. And so sometimes I'm looking at this, this is not what the megachurch wants to hear. Because we strive in our Christian life to portray perfection rather than portray difficult or struggles in our life. And so therefore we want God to remove something that doesn't portray this perfection or this image that I'm trying to live up to. And so I'm curious if Paul was an author today, would the evangelical church buy this book that basically says... You know what? You can pray for it, but you may be struggling with this the rest of your life. And maybe I'm not going to remove it. It's not popular. And so if you look at this, basically he's saying, look, Kevin, how I get in the scripture, I know you're broken. I know you have flaws. I know you have difficulty. But man, my grace is sufficient. And my grace will embrace. See, follow me on here. When church is a shame culture, people go into hiding and miss the experience of God's grace and work in their lives. They miss true healing and restoration, which isn't a manufactured image of victory we must struggle to maintain. True healing and restoration happen when God takes a hold of who you are, both the good that we are proud of and the tough stuff that we are ashamed of, and by grace fits it together in a way that brings wholeness. It is in this wholeness that our true identity as complete, completely loved children of God begins to emerge. Why is it so hard for us to be authentic with one another? Why is it so hard for us to be honest with the struggles that we have of who we are? People love it. They go, well, I love your authenticity, Kevin but they're not authentic themselves. Authenticity is, is attractive. But it's so hard to be authentic. For me, the pulpit, it's the safest place on the planet for me. It's really interesting, but when I go out there, I'm afraid. I don't want to be shamed. I don't want to be judged. As we all do. See, there's one kind, follow me on the screen. There is only one kind of person, and that is us, a sinner. We all fall short of the glory of God. It's just that some are, some are honest about who they are, and others are not. 
how am I? Let's say these are the things that I'm ashamed of over here. These are the things that I'm proud of over here. So when I became a pastor, I, I focused on this. But I was never whole because part of my life is missing. I got to put these together. This is who I am. The stuff here and the stuff here. And therefore, I've got to stop hiding and start being. So if you look on the screen, at its best, the church functions much like a recovery group. It's a safe place where a bunch of struggling, imperfect people come together to speak difficult truths to one another. And I love this because the church needs to be a safe place. When I do marriage counseling, and I'm good at it, when I do marriage, because if you, the thing is, I'm telling you, I can get the anger out of you guys real easy. You ask my staff, there's a lot of screaming going in my office. It's not necessarily at me, but it's at each other. But I always interrupt and I say, you know what she wants? The one thing that she wants in this marriage is to be safe. That's it. That's all. And the wife looks at me and goes, I never could, I never could articulate that. That's true. I want to be saved. The thing is, all of us want to be saved. So why do I go to church and have to, to project that I got it together? Because I'm afraid that I'm going to be publicly shamed. I don't know. And so this is where people seem to bond much closer together through our brokenness rather than our theological beliefs. We don't bond because we believe a certain way in God. We argue about it if it becomes divisive. But the human beings were created to bond through our brokenness. That's why we're, why we're the church. Because we have something in common that we can share a broken. The church becomes a safe place when we do two things. It's on the screen. Bear the truth, B-A-R-E, the truth, and bring the naked truth about ourselves out into the open. Or bear, B-E-A-R, the truth, or give grace and mercy to each other. Now, when there's an atmosphere that we bear and bear each other's truth, instead of feeling that we have to hide and therefore we'd stop being isolated. Therefore, healing and transformation and restoration begins. Because I'm not the only one here that is struggling through this area of my life. And so this is why it's the greatest advice where James, who is Jesus' stepbrother, says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. That's what we need to do, lift one another up. The prayer is, is outlined by bearing and bearing. When we bear each other, uh, uh, we, we bear the truth, holding each other's truth before the Lord in prayer. And the more truth that's confessed, the more grace that there is to embrace. Can you imagine going to a church and, and uh, sharing, hey, look, I, I'm having this addiction in my life that I'm, I, I'm addicted to, let me use one I haven't heard lately, gambling. And so therefore, I'm addicted to gambling, and I'm spending so much money going to these reservations, 
and I'm at the point of bankruptcy and my wife is leaving. I need prayer. And we lift you up in prayer, but the other person says, look, I don't have any problems. Things are going well for me. I'm financially great, everything's going well, and look, let me give you some advice, Mr. Gambler. Stop it. See, that's publicly shaming, and what happens instead of a person saying, I need restored in this area, they're publicly shamed or shamed in a conversation. Therefore, they hide their shame, and nothing changes. Nothing is restored. And so, therefore, when someone they're following the next week goes, how are you doing with your gambling? Good, I stopped, which is a big lie. So he's living a lie because he doesn't want to be shamed. Our children learn this very young about when they lie or when they discover themselves physically that we go, grow, stop it. And so therefore, the shame kicks in and they don't do anything in public anymore. This is how we all grew up. And so this is where we need to find grace. And notice that James doesn't say the self-righteous will be powerful and effective. He says the prayer of a righteous person will be effective. And righteousness, the only way that we are right standing and we are righteous is because we receive the grace from God. You don't earn this stuff. But you receive it from the grace. And the best way to experience this grace is accept this area of your life that needs grace. Instead of saying, this is not my issue, because this will control you, whether you think so or not. Yeah, how you trust, how you get in relationships. When you, when you remarry, when you start a new relationship, all of a sudden you go, we don't talk about this. Because therefore you portray an image that you think somebody else will love, but deep down, they don't know who you are. I did this for seven years in my first marriage. When my first wife says, I love you, and, and I thought, you don't know me. You love what I'm projecting. Jennifer's the first one that loved me for who I am. I felt safe. So therefore, I learned to be authentic. It just took one person to change my life. One person, when I threw all this out wow, to her, thinking she would reject me. Because eventually that would come out. But she did. Therefore I became whole. And therefore I moved. At the end of every sermon that I'm preaching until October, I'm going to do what's called the pastor's corner. And we're in the midst of doing a relaunch starting in October, recalibration. Your pastor's been going through some heavy stuff emotionally working on his restoration and, and his life, so therefore I can bring other people into restoration, restored in order to restore. And so therefore I want to share with you that when on the first Sunday of October is our new relaunch of a church, and I want to share with you the end results, what I want to see this church become. But first I want to start with this quote. And this, it says this, he, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service, may still be left in their loneliness. 
The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as undevout as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself from the fellowship, we dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies, living in hypocrisy. Man, that's the most loneliest thing on the planet. There's no real restoration happens in this type of fellowship. By the end of the relaunch, this is what I envision. This is my prayer. This is why I'm going through what I'm going through. That we are a place that can be open and confess. And that we are not worried about being judged. The world judges us. Maria, Maria uh, shared with us in a prayer time. She goes, I love the quote, what Guy did when he shared. It says, love more and judge less. So our new t-shirts are going to have that on the back in some type of form. That we were known as a church that will love more and judge less. Because that's how transformation and restoration happen. Who in the world goes like this? You know what? What's wrong? I go, I haven't felt judged. I need judged more. (laughs) No one said that. I need to go to church. Can you find me the most judgmental church on the planet? I need to go there. This is what I envision. Instead of small groups, which um, we're we're going to begin a beta small groups in the fall, are not going to be accountability groups, but they're going to be identity groups. And if you look on the screen, accountability based on accomplishing a goal or not, as often leads to feeling of success or failure. But identity groups are based on living into our true identity in Christ and encouraging the acceptance of authenticity. Our New Testament reading today, it was Ephesians, goes in the picture of restoration. And he gives us the end result, and I love this. This is the end result of my buddy, Paul, who wouldn't be popular now. He says this in verse 7. We have been ransomed through his son's blood. We have been forgiven. We have forgiveness for our failures based on the overflowing grace, which he poured over us with wisdom and understanding. God revealed his hidden design to us, which is according to his goodwill and the plan that he is intended to accomplish through his son. This is what God planned for the climax of all, to bring all things together in Christ, the things in heaven along with the things of earth. What does he mean, whole, all things? This that I'm proud of, this that I'm ashamed of, that it brings together so therefore I can be whole, that I can be the person God has called me. Back on the screen. Nothing is wasted here. Even our sins, our failures, our shortcomings, God not only forgives but reconciles and uses for our complete wholeness. Where does this pastor minister out of? This area. Not necessarily this area. Your greatest pain becomes your greatest ministry. Because it develops a compassion and empathy, a sympathy that you have been there. And so if you disregard this area of your life, then you become self-righteous and very judgmental. 
and you hope no one will find out about your past. It's a scary position to be in. And so this is where, where the Bible says we have also received an inheritance in Christ. We, have, we were destined by the plan of God who accomplishes everything according to his will. I am a child of God. You are a child of God. We receive this incredible inheritance from God. Not necessarily my dad, I won't, but you know, from God. And so this is where it's in, back on the screen. Our true identity is that we are God's beloved children. God intends for us to be made whole or complete in God's love through Jesus Christ. That process begins to happen when the local church is healthy, safe place of restoration, where we don't have to hide parts of ourselves. If any part of yourself is hidden due to fear and shame, that piece of you is missing. As long as any part of you is missing, you are not whole, holiness or wholeness. I'm very passionate about this. Give myself a heart attack. I want to show you a picture of someone that I've been in love with for many years. Back when I was young, I used to watch MTV, look around and dance when she danced on MTV. The woman had the most incredible voice on the planet. There's no voice like her and there'll be no voice like in her. But a documentary that's coming out really gave me some insight. Whitney Houston was molested as a child. Whitney Houston was introduced to drugs at a young age. I was trying to figure out why didn't she run to the church. Whitney Houston's mother had an affair with a pastor. So therefore the church wasn't a safe place. Good. It's almost like the perfect storm that's going on when she was introduced to this. Whitney did not have a safe environment where she could just be herself, to be real, to embrace her pain. She sure couldn't turn to the church because the church was a source of her pain. So in the documentary, in the stories, and in interviews, she continued to run. All seems what a tremendous, rare talent that she was. But yet the tragic, she went, couldn't stop running. She had no safe place. The real Whitney, whoever she was, could not be out. She could not take her brokenness, her shame, her, what she was struggling with, that she had to keep it a secret. You know the old saying, you're as sick as your secrets. Now, I'm not judging Whitney. I love her talent. I think she, had, had a, she was an incredible person. But it just makes me so sad that anyone that, that, that lost is so alone. And as part of this launch that I want to see, I don't want any of us to suffer alone. I don't want any of us to sit here in the pews or be involved in church, but deep down, we can't find a safe place. I can't do this. 
And so on the screen, we won't be appalled when a sinner shows up because we're all sinners and confesses that they are a sinner. Why not? Because we will be a fellowship where we all know we are sinners and aren't afraid to confess the truth about ourselves. We'll know it is a safe place where we get prayer and not judgment. And together we will start living into the wholeness of who we are, beloved children of God. I know everyone's not going to be part of a small group. I know everyone's not going to buy into this. But man, if you're interested in wholeness, if you're interested in restoration. See, that's why, and I'll say it again, it's on the screen. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. May God bless you, and may God bless his holy word.